Good morning, church. My name is Travis Bond. I serve as senior pastor here. And this is it, everyone. Final week, uh, last Sunday in August, last Sunday in this sermon series, The Signs Are All Around Us, Fall Is Here. Pastor Carl's winter coat has grown in. (laughs) A sure sign that times are changing. Did someone just moo? I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Back to school. Back to school. Um, Leaves changing. Um, Moms are sending their kids off. Moms of kindergartners are weeping. Moms of all other ages are dancing. (laughs) Um, Soon we got apple picking, um, uh, out on hiking trips. Uh, Speaking of, I was on a hiking trip this past year with a handful of us from the church uh, went. It was a lot of fun. One of your um, fellow church members uh, who was part of that is known far and wide as being um, pretty good with a hiking map. Stress on pretty good. Um, I I don't want to name any names. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Uh, We'll just say his name rhymes with Chris Schmloper. I did ask if I could tell a story. So we were, we, we, were uh, we, we climbed up, stayed in a mountain, a uh, cabin on the top of the mountain. Um, next morning, breakfast, hiked over to uh, this little rocky peak. It was nice, um, decent view, um, good breeze. Uh, and then Chris says, hey guys, I got a great idea. I think we should all head over there because I think there's another peak, according to the map, that would be an excellent place to visit. In fact, I think I can just make it out from here. It doesn't look too far. And indeed, it really wasn't that far. Maybe a mile, mile and a half. What we failed to realize, or what the map failed to display, it it could be either way, I'm sure, is that there's actually a very significant altitude change, even though the distance was not that far. The the altitude change, plural, make that changes, were such that we were thinking a nice little hike, we got like a water bottle and two cliff bars between us, Five and a half miles later, we are dying. The quads are on fire as we finally up, down, up, down, descend, way down, descend back up, and now we're at the top of the second peak, which admittedly, it was a pretty good view. And I think to myself, as I think back on that, that is probably a very good picture of where we are going this morning at the tail end of our story, of our um, narrative through the Ten Commandments. Um, If you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Exodus chapter 20. This is page 61 in the Black Bibles, Exodus chapter 20. Including today, we will have spent 12 weeks covering Ten Commandments, And as we moved through these, we felt it growing in us a little bit. If we've been paying attention, haven't we? This sense that I want to fulfill these. I ought to fulfill these. I need to fulfill these. 
And yet, when I want to do good, finish it. Evil is right there with me. Romans chapter 7. That, that when I, I want to do right, wrong has this way of peeking its head up. Um, so this morning's sermon is about one thing, one word. It's a biblical, it's a theological word that is just packed with import. And it proclaims how all of these Ten Commandments come to bear upon us. The word is grace. If there's one truth I want you guys to walk out of here with this morning, now at the conclusion of this series, I want you to walk out of this sanctuary knowing, confident, that there is more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. There is more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. Um, so I want to go on a hike. It's a nice day. Um, hopefully you guys uh, plan ahead a little better than we did and you pack more than a bottle of water and a couple cliff bars between all of us um, because we are going to hike up here, a very dangerous, a very steep mountain. And then from there, not unlike what we did last year, we're going to hike down off of that mountain. We're going to descend quite a ways and then we're going to ascend to a second peak. And I promise you that the views from that one are outstanding. So we're starting at the base of Mount Sinai. If you opened up to Exodus 20, drop your eyes down to verse 18 and hear now the very word of the Lord. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Okay, beginning back in June is when we started this series, and so Mount Sinai has been base camp for us this entire time. Mount Sinai, if you are brand new to the Bible, man, I'm glad you're here. You are in the right spot. I don't care whether you know everything in this book or you don't know anything, but I'll try and fill in a couple of gaps as we move along. Um, if you're brand new to the Bible, Mount Sinai is where uh, God, um, if you've seen the Prince of Egypt or the Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille, if you're familiar at all with the story, God led his people out of bondage in Egypt passed you know, through the waters, through the Red Sea, the whole thing, miracle. God brings this entire nation state of Israel and he puts them at the base of this mountain, Mount Sinai. And then it was here through Moses that God gives this nation, this people belonging to him, his law. And remember, the law of Moses then, it teaches us the rules. 
The law of Moses does not empower us to fulfill the rules. The law of Moses teaches us the rules. It does not empower us to fulfill the rules. And I point this out to you again because after 11 or 12 weeks, if we haven't been paying very close attention, it could be that our takeaway from this whole thing may be, you know what? Goodness. Everybody would be a whole lot better if we just started obeying the Ten Commandments. That would really make everything much easier. Now, of course, that's true. But if that's our key takeaway from this series, my friends, we've missed the point entirely. Likewise, if you've decided as a result of our 12 weeks together in the Ten Commandments, huh, thanks, Trev. I realize I need to try a lot harder if I'm going to make a go at this being a Christian thing. Again, we've gone badly wrong. Romans 7 says it this way. Remember, it says that, you know, when I, when I want to do the, the things I want to do, I don't do. Things I, I don't want to do, I do. And then it, it drops and it says, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions stirred by the law were at work in us. The sinful passions stirred by the law were at work in us. Now that's a, I don't know, that's a passage maybe you just read through and you don't think too deeply about it, but if you hang out on that for a few seconds, what does it mean? That the law stirs up sin in us. That does not sound good. (laughs) Does, Does God's law put sin in me? No, obviously not. The law stirs up what's already there. Which if you think about it, is really a little bit of a gift. Right, because the glass of water, it might appear to be quite clean, save for that little half inch of sludge at the bottom that you didn't notice. Put in a spoon, stir it up, and you very quickly realize, oh, I'm really, I'm really glad I didn't drink that because it's entirely filthy. And the law, it kind of does the same thing in the human heart. It stirs it up. Mount Mount Sinai, the law, it reveals in us the sin. But Mount Sinai, the law, it can't cleanse our sin. It reveals our sin. It cannot cleanse our sin. If you leave here thinking, I'm going to grab hold of the law so that I can make myself sin less, you're actually going to have the effect of making yourself sin more. Commandments are beautiful because they show us a way to live, but they do not give life. The commandments, the law of God, it is not a ladder upon which we climb to heaven. It is much more like a spotlight that we shine into all of the the cracks and the crevices of our heart and we bring sin out into the light. Look at verse 18, if you kept your Bibles open. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Why would they say something like that? It's because for these Israelites... The sheer 
weight of the presence of a holy God terrified them such that they are now begging for someone else to stand in their place for them. What they were begging for here is a mediator, a savior. And church, this is an insight that all of us in our highly educated, scientific, to be honest, chronologically arrogant age, we do well to think through this. That we stand before a holy God. But in ourselves, we are not holy. Jesus said in the Good Shepherd narrative, he said, I have come to give life. Now consider, why would Jesus offer to give life to people who are already alive? Must it not be because the life we think we're living is really death? It's like we're all sitting in class. You guys remember school, right? Remember sitting in class and all the grades come back, except this time it's really bad news. The grades come back, every single person in the class gets an F. And there's that one annoying guy who sits in the front row, and he turns around and he says, well, I got a high F. (laughs) It's almost a D minus. And you're thinking to yourself, it doesn't matter. You failed the course. We got it. We all got an F. The only person who got an A was Jesus. The doctrine then of justification by faith is the belief, the confidence, the truth that Christ takes his A and he credits it to your grade. This is the gospel. If you've never heard the term the gospel, if you have no idea what it really means to be a Christian, not to act like a Christian, that's entirely different, to be a Christian, it is this. It is this truth that Christ's righteousness is credited to me. And yet, do you have any idea how many people walk out of church every week, every month, every year, and they say to themselves, whew, I gotta bring my grade up. Friends, hear me on this. If you go to sleep after this, okay. It would be great if you stayed awake for the entire sermon, but at least stay awake for this right here. And hear me on this, that if you work your hardest from this day until your last day, you cannot possibly bring your grade up. You cannot possibly reach a standard that will pass you next to the perfect, unforgiving law of God. And understand, he doesn't grade on a curve. He's not going to bring the standard of his law down. We work through the Ten Commandments, and then we jump into the, the New Testament. We think we're New Testament Christians, and we look at it through New Testament eyes, and we realize the New Testament does not lower the standard of God. If anything, it actually raises it or makes us realize how much higher it was all along. You guys know what I'm talking about. We've hit this over and over, right? Um, we come to the command, thou shalt not murder. And Jesus Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, he makes us realize that actually means thou shalt not even hate. 
We read the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus explained, hey, it's not just physical adultery. It's the very act of lusting, the very thought life within you. The Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not lie. And we realize here, this actually includes way more than just bearing false witness when we put our hand on the Bible. This is gossip, this is slander, this is all kinds of things. You cannot bring your grade up. Matthew 5, Jesus said, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law. If you like, if you learn this out of the, the, the King James, it's, it's not a jot or a tittle, yeah. Not an iota, not a dot, not a jot, not a tittle will pass from the law. And then he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to, yeah. So that, that's pretty much where Mount Sinai leaves us. The people of God standing before the holiness of God, begging for someone to go in their place. So it's Moses, right? There in verse 21. And if you can picture it in your mind, I mean, it's on the page in front of you. Can you picture it? He's got the beard. He's got the staff. He's got the robe. In verse 21, the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And now you look at that image through New Testament eyes. And the, the, the figure kind of fades and the smoke swirls. And we begin to realize, is not Moses we're looking at there. It's a different figure in the smoke. And he's got scars on his hands. And he's got a crown of thorns on his brow. I want you to leave Exodus behind. I want you to flip forward with me to the New Testament chapter 12, uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. While you're flipping there, Hebrews is often called the most uh, Jewish of the New Testament books because it alludes so heavily to the Old Testament. Direct quotations and then also just allusions. And this is where I want to continue our hiking trip. Hebrews 12, it's around verse 18. We begin hiking off of Mount Sinai. Verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
you begin to see how Sinai, it offers a baseline, okay, a guide for living, but it does not give life. Where do I find life? Who will give me life? Well, I can answer that. He's right there. He's standing right on the top of Mount Zion there. But before you start hiking over there, because it seems like from this mountain peak to that mountain peak, it's not that far. I got some bad news for you. Much like the hiking trip I went on not that long ago, you're actually going to have to descend a far distance before you can have any hope of beginning to ascend that second mountain. You are going to have to, we are going to have to descend way down and take off this backpack that is just filled with all kinds of things we've been holding on to. What kind of things, Trev? Your merit. You can test me on this if you want. You can, as we go along here on the path, you can gather up in your mind all of the good deeds, all of the the precious jewels of your life that we believe in our estimation ought to, it really ought to earn us something before God because this is good stuff, you know? Because I, you know, I I never murdered a guy. (laughs) That's fantastic. We encourage no murdering here. And so that, I mean, that's got to be worth a ruby, right? And you just kind of gather up all the jewels of your life. I mean, I raise all my kids, you say to yourself, in the church faithfully. That's good. That's an emerald. You say, I I tithe 10% every paycheck. Plus 2% is like an offering on top of that. And we say, well, that's a diamond. That might be two diamonds. That's fantastic. Go ahead. Gather up all the jewels of a life well lived and then walk over to the cross and offer them to a hanging Savior. Or, if you prefer, you can hold on to all that for a little bit longer until the end of days when we see a white horse carrying a rider whose name is called Faithful and True and his eyes are like blazing fire and his robe has been dipped in blood. The imagery is Revelation 19 where it says his word is like a two-edged sword and it strikes down the nations and he treads the winepress of the fury of the Lord God Almighty and written on his thigh is, is king of kings and lord of lords and at that name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You wait till you see that guy, you walk your precious jewels over to him and you say, hey Jesus, here's what I did for you. Kind of a silly image, isn't it? I call it a, my, my patchwork quilt of righteousness. You know, this idea that I just, I kind of knit together over time. These little squares of what I think ought to be enough to merit me standing before God. 
Folks, there's no life in that. There's no life. You got to remind ourselves that there's more grace in Christ than sin in you. Be discouraged. And then be encouraged. There's more grace in Christ than sin in you. Some of us grew up in churches and families where the shaping influence upon us was do better, try harder. We didn't, we, we didn't have parents where we had a sense of unconditional love or we didn't have parents at all or we grew up in churches and God bless them, our parents, they loved us, but they had us in this church where all we heard was law, do, be better. And that's what's driven our spirituality for so many years. It could be that's what drove you here this morning. I'm supposed to go to church. Remember what we said back in June. It's the I am that gives foundation to the you shall. It's all about the who before it's ever about the do. So stop being a moralist. If that's you, just stop it. Stop being a Pharisee. Listen to Paul in Galatians 2. This is huge. He says, For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but finish it. So what's that mean? Well, if I can paraphrase, it means there is more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. So climb down from Mount Sinai. Take off the, the pack and the rigging and the gear that's filled with all of the different things that you've accumulated, all the good works. Go to the bottom. Go to the bottom of the mountain and then by faith understand that Christ will reach down and raise us up to the top of Mount Zion. Mount Zion, if you don't understand that reference, and that's like out of nowhere, Mount Zion was the, one of the names for that temple mount in the middle of Jerusalem where the temple was built. And that's where God in his Shekinah glory, um, you know, the visible representation of his presence, he would come and he would meet with his people there. Mount Zion, then it, the image, the picture, is that this is where God dwells with his people, which means I do not want to live on Mount Sinai. I want to live on Mount Zion. I want to live where God dwells with his people. And the fascinating thing about that is if I get to the top of Mount Zion, what do I find there? I find a whole bunch of murderers. I find thieves and liars and adulterers and people who covet all the time. And I find people who dishonored their parents. At the top of Mount Zion, church, What we are going to find is people who at one time, they completely ignored the Sabbath day. They constantly took God's name in vain. They worshiped through carved images. They worshiped other gods entirely. And they have been made perfect by the shed blood of Christ. Mount Zion is filled with every kind of lawbreaker made right with God. In Christ alone, 
by faith alone, through grace alone. Capon writes, he comes to us in the brokenness of our health, in the shipwreck of our family, in the loss of all possible peace of mind, even in the very thick of our sins. He saves us in our disasters, not from them. He emphatically does not promise to meet only the odd winner of the self-improvement lottery. He meets us all in our endless and inescapable losing. My friends, there is more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. Every one of us then has to fall flat on our face right beside the tax collector and right beside the prostitute and turn and say, I got an F too, buddy. I'm just like you. So if it's all by grace, then once I've repented, once I've shined the law on the, on the cracks and the crevices of my heart and sins come out and I've repented, if, if, once I've repented, do I still need the law? Yeah. <laughs> Last weekend, um, I was at a community group pool party and little Nathaniel Hill, if you guys know him, he walked up to his dad, Michael, who's one of our deacons, uh, and he said to him, Dad, I don't want to wear this life vest anymore. <laughs> and Michael said, you need to wear it. Natty said, I don't like how it feels. I don't want to wear it. And Michael knelt down next to him. And he said, hey, buddy, this vest <laughs> will keep you safe. If you wear this vest you will be able to go so many more places around this pool than if you don't wear it. You will have more fun if you wear this life vest. And Natty looked up his dad and he frowned <laughs> and he said, all right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he went off and he played and he had a great time and he was safe. What's true for the vest is true for the commandments. They cannot give life, but they do help keep us safe. They actually provide more freedom, not less. Like a locomotive placed in the field. We might say it's free, but it's not going to go anywhere. Place it upon rails, and it can go all kinds of places. God's law works like that. So heed God's law. Receive the Ten Commandments like a loving letter from a good father who says, I want you to have the best life possible. So do it like this. And then church, quickly remember that when you don't do it like this and when you fail and you make a hash of it, be confident that there is more grace in Christ than there will ever be sin in you.
Thank you for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.